watchers in the fourth dimension. Bangs and mash. My name is Katerina, and I am already dead. Seaman Taylor, what's happening here? Tell me. Hello, and welcome to a bonus episode of Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. And I'm Julie. And the two of us are here to talk about another Big Finish adventure. Those of you who are longer term listeners may remember that around a year ago, we gave Julie her very first experience of Big Finish with the first Doctor Companion Chronicle, The Library of Alexandria. Since then, Julie's listened to a few more things from Big Finish's output. Anything you'd like to give a particular shout out to, Julie? Yeah, I did listen to a couple of the Diary of River songs. Those were really, really good, especially the one with the Masters, because there's one with Missy, and Missy and River are phenomenal. I bet they are. And then we got a Jamie short story that was set in Paris. Um, It was a quick little 30-minute one, but I really enjoyed it. What? You went and listened to a Jamie one? I'm so shocked. (laughs) I know. Anyway, as we are now reaching the end of the Second Doctor era on the podcast, we wanted to come back, do another little bonus episode with a Second Doctor audio. I once again gave Julie free reign on choosing the story, and you chose? I chose Daughter of the Gods. Which we are very, very excited about. Before we dig in to discuss it, A little bit of background information on this one. This story came out of the imagination of Big Finish executive producer and friend of the podcast, Jason Haig Ellery, who wanted to do a multi-Doctor story with the first and second Doctors to celebrate 20 years of Big Finish doing Doctor Who. Producer David Richardson envisioned the story as a kind of five-year anniversary special, as if it had been done in 1968, with the intent of giving the story the feel of the time, although it has a slightly heavier emphasis on continuity than stories at the time would have had. Writing this one is my old friend, David K. Barnes. David and I are the same age, and we quite literally grew up in fandom together, posting across a number of the same Doctor Who forums throughout our teenage years. David went on to become a professional writer and has now written four stories for Big Finish, including this one. The original brief for this story was given to him by David Richardson and fellow Big Finish writer John Dorney, and they gave him a laundry list of characters for inclusion, which originally also included the meddling monk who didn't make it into the final version. David Barnes came up with 80 pages of notes but struggled to develop them into a coherent storyline and John Dorney sat down with him, helped him simplify some of the ideas and through that process Katerina became the focal point of the story with the narrative forming around her role. Directing this one was Lisa Bowerman who first appeared in Doctor Who, actually on screen, in the very last story of the classic run in 1989's Survival, playing a character called Kara, so we will eventually see her on screen in our run. And when Big Finish first started producing audio drama, she became the voice of Professor Bernie Summerfield, which was the first range of audios that Big Finish did, and she eventually made the shift into directing in addition to acting. She now does both. Providing sound and music is Toby Hrysek Robinson, which I hope I've pronounced correctly, who is a regular on Big Finish and is apparently credited with creating the famous Big Finish lunches, which apparently is a big draw for the actors who are in Big Finish. They love going and getting their lunch on the day. Apparently they're fantastic. Who knew? And then in terms of voices on the audio, we of course have the return of Wendy Padbury as Zoe, Fraser Hines as both Jamie and the second Doctor, and Peter Purvis as Stephen and the first Doctor. 
and the role of Katarina had actually already been recast for another storyline of some of the eighth Doctor audios with Ajaz Awad in the role. And again, I hope I've pronounced that correctly. Probably haven't. And of course, she returned, obviously, for this story. With that, let's get to talking about it. Episode one. One of the things that I always like to note on this big finish, their soundtrack is just always on point. Yeah. They do such a good job of music and just all the different background noises and just setting the atmosphere. It's probably some of the best audio work that I've heard when it comes to that. There's definitely a reason they're still doing this now 22 years later. They're just really, really good at what they do. Toby, if you're listening to this, good job, mate. Good job. I liked the way that they structured this, and I'll probably talk a little bit about both the first episode and the second episode a little bit, because it's really told, I think, starting from the second Doctor and his companion's perspective. But then when the second episode comes in and it kind of gives you the what happened right before. Yeah. All of that. I do like that. I like getting stories where it starts with some sort of action and you don't really know what's going on. And then later we then kind of do not really a flashback per se, but what happened before all the crazy started. I wasn't expecting that narrative mechanism because this was my first time listening to this particular one as well. And I knew it was fundamentally as if it was from the Second Doctor era, but I was expecting it to be much more linear. Second Doctor, Jamie and Zoe show up, meet the First Doctor, Stephen and Katerina. I wasn't expecting to get that flashback and, and for the second episode to basically end concurrently with the first episode. I really liked that but I really wasn't expecting it. Yeah, and what I liked about it is with the first part, you first get that opening with the Doctor and the Companions just having those great character moments Mm -hmm. of them just messing around in the TARDIS, like going through all the junk. And I really enjoy those. Like whenever we're watching the regular episodes, that's one of the things that I love most is seeing how they interact with each other when crazy stuff isn't happening. So I liked that they did that. So wonderful. And I liked hearing Wendy Padbury a lot. One thing that you do notice, obviously, is how much that their voices have changed. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know. It's it's been 50 years, so you kind of expect it. But equally, it it is a bit jarring to some extent. Definitely. And then there's, I think Fraser does a phenomenal job of the second Doctor. Honestly, sometimes I think his second Doctor is better than his own Jamie voice. Well, I I think given the age gap between him and Patrick Troughton, (laughs) you know, as he's aged, he's got that older tone to his voice that Patrick Troughton had. and, And unfortunately, that doesn't match too well with the youthful Jamie. Yes, you can tell that they've aged. And yes, it might be a little unfortunate that it's not quite the same. It is great to hear the original actors coming back to to doing these. So I can't really complain all that much. Yeah, to your point, Julie, I think David Barnes did a great job in capturing the kind of tone of the time. As you mentioned, those character moments, the way he's characterized Jamie particularly. I mean, when he encounters Uh. the looters, he's, of course, ready to jump in and, you know, with all of that typical Jamie bravado. Yep, and then obviously when Katarina comes in and he's like, uh, okay, I'm going to have to protect Katarina now. There are so many moments, obviously, and yes, I'm I'm not going to stick with Jamie all the time, but (laughs) they're very obvious things. The one thing that I didn't really hear too much of is a not right now, Jamie, or 
we're not going to listen to you, Jamie. There wasn't as much of that going on. Yeah, there really wasn't. And I'm doing a really bad job of sticking to episodes, so I apologize. You know, we can we can keep this freeform. Okay, perfect. No worries about structure. Because one of the best things that I found was how they paired up the individuals. Mm-hmm. So you had the pairing of Jamie and Katarina. So you had the two that we've talked about as being from out of time, especially since it was early time. And how I know there was comments made about how Jamie took really well to traveling with the doctor and, and just got caught up with everything. But yet Katarina, even though she hasn't been around for very long, she just never really got it. <laughs> yeah. Even here, she never really gets it, I don't think. She doesn't get it here, but I think as a character, she worked far better than she ever did in the show. Absolutely. Since they structured it around her, it was about her and it was also either one of the doctors not wanting to have anything happen to her and all that other kind of thing. But I'm not sure how to really explain it very well, so I apologize. I think I know what you're getting at. I feel like David Barnes, in writing this, just... He gave her more of an opportunity to shine than she ever was on screen. When we watched the Daleks' master plan, they, and by they I mean the producers at the time, had already decided that she wasn't going to work out and made the decision we're going to kill her off. So she was never really given much of a chance on screen. Mm-hmm. And the big Finnish guys came to this with the idea of, we're going to do a story around Katarina. Yeah, and I think what really works about it is that they still kept with the idea that she thinks that he's a god for a good portion of this, but they do it in such a way where it's not so obnoxious, it's somewhat charming. Yeah. When you hear her reasoning, you can understand why she feels that way. Yeah, exactly. It's not just like a, oh, I have no idea what's going on, so obviously it's this. It's it's more of a, oh no, because these things happen, that's why I think you're a god. And it's like, oh, okay. And sometimes when you hear her say things, you're like, well... Yeah, I think giving that insight into kind of what makes her tick Mm -hmm. helps you empathize with the character more. I don't know if this was meant to be a we're going to make Katarina an awesome character approach or not, but they kind of did. They really did. I found her much more interesting than before. And then we got Zoe and Steven. So people from quote unquote, the future. So both very intelligent, Zoe being just a super genius and Steven just being really good with ships and machines and things like that. So I liked that pairing. They worked really well together. And then obviously when we got the doctor versus the doctor, it was wonderful. Yes. <laughs> That's a very interesting combination, the first and the second doctor. And it, I think it really emphasized how different their characters actually are. Yeah, because as much as I've, you know, listened to, we've been watching all of these for the past, what, two years, three years, whatever, wherever we're at right now. Two and a half-ish. Two and a half. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, we always talked about, you know, the first Doctor being the crotchety old man, especially when he's like, I'm going to just throw Ian and Barbara out because I can't stand these guys. And then you get the second Doctor who's just like, kind of just adorable and (laughs) I don't want to say loving but he kind of is to a certain degree and so yeah I did really like that they emphasized that but they didn't go overboard first doctor while he was crotchety when he was interacting with Steven and Katarina he was like oh no these are my guys so he was nice with them so I I I liked how they did that 
What I really liked about this, as I was reading about this story, I saw that David Barnes had mentioned that multi-Doctor stories tend to give the impression that the first Doctor is the wisest because he's the oldest in appearance. But what he wanted to do here is the second Doctor is older and more experienced in terms of actual age, even though he mm -hmm. looks younger. He wanted to really flesh out the second Doctor as being the wiser of the two, simply because he's seen more things. And I think he did a great job with that. Yep, that was really good. The other thing that I think we haven't talked too much about is how they fit this in timeline perspective with it happening after the Daleks master plan. Yeah, except an alternate version of the Daleks master plan where they're not stopped. Yeah. I thought that was a great idea. It took me longer to figure out than it should have, honestly. Me too. I was sitting there and like the Daleks come in and like they're doing stuff and I was like, all right, so we got some Daleks and they're doing their thing. And then I was like, wait a second. <laughs> so there was that moment in episode one. So we have the clash of the two TARDISes. And then later in episode one, the second Doctor says that he doesn't remember being mm -hmm. on Abinia before. And then we have the first Doctor appearing on the screen. So that's the first kind of sign. Wait, what's going on here? And then... In the second episode, we get the Daleks rapidly aging the people on Beralda, mm -hmm. the other planet, with what was clearly the time destruction. I was like, oh, yeah. that's a nice callback. But I didn't quite connect that this was an alternate storyline. Mm -hmm. I just found that very interesting where I was just sitting there and I was like, yep, they're aging people. Okay, this is all right. So the dogs are doing this. And then like, you know, you get to like the third episode and you're like, you know, there's something odd about this. Maybe you expect what's her face Sarah to show up. Yeah, but I enjoyed that part. It was very clever thing to do because you get to talk about a couple different stories that happened because we got obviously got to talk about the one where they're in Troy myth makers and we get to talk about the Daleks master plan. And obviously this is sometime after Zoe comes in. So she's already seen probably the Cyberman and she was also told about who Katarina was. Yeah. And of course, while she'd never met the Daleks on screen, if you think mm -hmm. back, the Doctor did replay the events of the evil of the Daleks for her just after she came on board the TARDIS. Mm -hmm. So she knows the Daleks, even if she hasn't encountered them. Yeah, just all the callbacks that they did, but it was actually done not just for the sake of calling back to them. It was done to actually build a story around and build like that alternate timeline, which I thought was a lot of fun. Yeah, I thought so, too. I want to talk about how the companions react to the other Doctors. I particularly loved at the beginning of episode three, Zoe thinking that the first Doctor is an imposter who's trading off of her Doctor's <laughs> reputation. <laughs> that makes sense. It does make sense, but I, I also love it at the same time because in a lot of ways, people would think that the second Doctor is that because they're like, well, the first Doctor is my Doctor, not the second. Yeah. It's just a fun turn that they did it in the opposite direction. Steven just thinks the second Doctor is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Speaking of Steven and the first Doctor, Peter Purvis's first Doctor impression is spot on as well. I really enjoyed mm -hmm. that. Yeah. I think maybe thinking back a year to when we did the Library of Alexandria, I think I like his impression slightly more than I like William Russell's. It's pretty close. 
honestly. I think William Russell threw in a little bit more of the hmms than Peter Purvis did. Maybe that they just wrote those in a little bit more because, you know, I I think some of those little laughs. Yeah. William Russell did a few more of those. Yep. But no, I think from an overall impression, he did a good job. Fraser Hines did a good job, especially like when you get that one-on-one doctor couple scenes. They do such a good job. I love the relationship between them. The first doctor's basically first words when he met the second doctor were, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) And on top of that, there's the whole will they, won't they on we've got to write the timelines. And of course, being told what's going to happen, the first doctor doesn't want to do that. Yeah, it's one person versus millions of people. It's that classic thing. And the first doctor grew much more attached to his companions than the second. Well, I think it's an interesting bit of character development because you think back to the first doctor when we first met him. Mm -hmm. And he really didn't care about Ian and Barbara way back in An Unearthly Child. But by the time we get to Stephen and Katerina, he's become attached to people. Yes. Well, in this timeline, he's known Katarina for three months or Mm -hmm. so. So obviously that's enough time to be grown attached to her. So it's interesting the timeline reshifts itself and get back to normal, so to speak. It's kind of sad that he loses those three months. Yeah, it is. It's interesting, the whole conundrum that the two Doctors face with that. And I think it really feeds in with what I was saying David Barnes had said about wanting to make the second Doctor wiser than the first Doctor. It's very obvious that the second Doctor feels incredibly guilty about what happened to Katerina and how she died and carries that guilt with him. But he knows that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so good. I really enjoyed it and you know there's a small part of me that has that whenever there's instances in doctor who when people forget things whether it's they fix up a timeline or in donna's case they wipe her memory and things of that nature to a certain degree i find it very sad obviously because they've lost something and probably some character growth and things like that but in this instance I think it makes it makes a little bit more sense. And the fact that the second doctor still remembers a bit of it, even though it takes him a while to kind of remember it. And he's like, do I remember? Yes. Yes, I think I do. So I I, I like that they at least gave one person a little bit of memory for it. Which makes sense. You know, the doctor being a time lord and this having some some messing around with time. If anyone's going to remember, it's going to be him. I really enjoyed the scenes between Katerina and the second Doctor. Oh. I think he was very good at putting things in terms that she understands and how she slowly comes to the perspective of she has to die to save Mm -hmm. everyone else. And she kind of gets to that by talking about how the Doctor basically saved her at the expense of Troy. Well, not so much at the expense, but Mm -hmm. because he couldn't save all of Troy. And it's kind of a similar train of thought of, well, I can put this right and save this planet, but I have to die. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is the way, obviously, that she views death is significantly different than than what we think of it. And, you know, she's talking about going to the fields and, and all of that. So I really enjoyed them sticking with the myths and saying, like, this is where she actually thinks she'll end up being. And that's kind of why she's already resolved kind of had that resolve of that. She's like, I'm supposed to be dead. (laughs) Like I should be. And so it's one of those things where maybe some people think it's a cop out, but I really don't think it is where she's, she's just accepting of it. She's like, it is my time. Yeah. And I like that. It's really brave to be in that position. Yeah, absolutely. 
if you're sitting there caught into, you know, some sort of, we'll call it limbo for lack of a better term, and you're sitting there and you got an option of life or death, like what would you choose? Yeah. <laughs> Separately, there's a short story, I think. It might be an audio, but I'm fairly certain it's a short story where when she goes to the afterlife, she ends up going to Greek heaven rather than limbo. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a really bad job at remembering the names of those things. <laughs> I know that limbo is kind of like a dead one because like, they don't really do limbo anymore, but uh, that's, I'm familiar with the term. <laughs> here, here we go. So the the ancient Greek limbo is Asphodel and then the heaven is ah. the Elysian Fields. So she, she actually makes it into the Elysian Fields. Fantastic. She deserves it. Apparently because she remembers the first doctor and the idea of him and what he stood for, Aww. which I think is rather sweet. Anyway, we digress. Of course we do. It's what you and I do. Yeah. I really liked some of the quotes from here, and it made me very happy. I think one of my favorites was a doctor one when it's like, what have I ever been wrong, Jamie? Well, <laughs> second doctor, yeah. let's think about this. How many times have you said, hey, Jamie, we're not going to listen to you, and then, oh, wait a second, we should have? Exactly. Uh, should have listened to Jamie, dude. Always. Man, I didn't write as many of these as I thought I did, but let's just say that there's so many good quotable things in here, and I really enjoyed them. And really, it was all of them really fit the characters. You have Jamie, obviously, calling out the guys who are like doing all the looting and then saving Katarina. And he's trying to get Katarina to leave the TARDIS. And one of the things that Katarina says is, well, you know, the doctor, he'll protect us. And he's like, yeah, that's usually what we end up having to do. Speaking of Jamie and Katarina, did I imagine it? Or was there one part when he sounded like he might be crushing on her a little bit? <laughs> I mean... Did I imagine that? Of all the other Jamie pairings, I think this one actually made the most sense to me. Yeah. Obviously, other than Jamie, like blatantly talking with Zoe being like, hey, look at her. And Zoe being like, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> Aside from that. Aside from that, I think this one probably has the most potential. And I think part of it is with Jamie's protective nature. Katarina kind of fits within that. Yeah. I mean, you, you already mentioned how well all of the pairings worked. So I agree. I really liked it too, because she's talking about the doctor being a god and, and Jamie's like, well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> let's just move on. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Katarina, you already mentioned how the second doctor kind of remembers a little flash of what happened, but Katarina's parting words to him, you know, doctor, will you remember? And then the timelines get reset. Yeah. It's so sad. It circles back round and he does. That's a nice touch. And I really did love how after that, we go back to the first Doctor, Stephen and Katarina, in the TARDIS at what's basically the beginning of the Daleks master plan. And some of that dialogue has been repurposed and modified slightly for this. So there's that nice link into continuity. I thought that was really well done as well. I'm just really impressed by how this was written being able to fit in all of the pieces. And unfortunately, one of the things to note is that the supporting cast, they're fine, but they're not really noteworthy. I remember Captain Parlos really just because she's kind of mean the whole time. 
Yeah, I think that's the only downside. But you know, the problem is, is when you have it jam packed with two doctors and two of their companions, respectively, like you you can't really fit too many other characters in without it just getting out of hand. Yeah, I mean, of course, we also had Nick Briggs as the voice of the Daleks. I mean, Nick Briggs. At this point, there's no one else who can do it. No, he is a Dalek. The one thing I wanted to ask you about was Ajaz Awad as Katarina. Good casting? I think so. I really enjoyed it. Again, I'd have to go back and really watch the few episodes that Katarina was in. But from what I recall, it fits really well. I think the pacing of her voice works well. And I thought she did a really good job. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought she captured the spirit of Katarina pretty well. Mm Mm-hmm. She did a great job. That was some good casting from Big Finish. So I mentioned before that I'd listened to the Diary of River song. And with that one, it's obviously there's four stories within there. Mm -hmm. And they're usually written by different people and they have different casts. And oftentimes what happens there is that there's some very obviously good ones and some very obvious bad ones. Yep. It tends to be very lopsided when you have those longer running programs that they have where they have multiple stories in one set but i think for a lot of their others when they have a standalone a here's the story i think they did a really good job here and you can tell that the writer researched a lot of watching the old stuff obviously went into getting this story created absolutely i'm looking forward to doing more of this with you julie oh yay might have to check what other things he's written you said he's written for yeah so he's done the dalek occupation of winter which i think is a first doctor story with vicky and steven ah. then he's done a story for for unit called breach of trust and then also a story for the stranded anthology which the concept is the eighth doctor gets stranded on earth so two early doctor who ones and then unit with kate stewart and osgood and then one for the eighth doctor as well all right so it means that it's gonna be a while (laughs) yes yes or at least the author but obviously we're gonna do more of these again i love audiobooks in general so i love listening to these audio ones i know the other guys were a little bummed out of being finished with the second doctor so they were like nope we can't do it yeah <laughs> i know i i think maybe they're just not audiobook people we'll see guys you, you could have had fun with us <laughs> you could have had fun with us you also could have gotten probably one of the best things to happen to katarina yeah absolutely well i'm less familiar with the third doctor big finish output so that will be interesting for you and i Absolutely. And if you let me choose again, I just randomly select them partially just based on the title. <laughs> so... <laughs> because it's been a year, I had to go back and listen. And we did actually rate the Library of Alexandria. So let's rate Daughter of the Gods. Do you want to go first? So I really enjoyed this. I thought that it was well paced. It wasn't too long. It wasn't too short. You had phenomenal soundtrack. You had phenomenal portrayals done by Fraser, Peter, Wendy, and Ajaz. So I am going to probably give this eight time part indicators out of 10. Oh man, that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to go for. <laughs> Damn it. 
Okay, for exactly the same reasons, I really, really enjoyed this. I thought Peter Purvis, Fraser Hines, Wendy Padbury and Ajaz Awad were all excellent. It was well scripted. I like how it had a non-linear narrative, at least for the first two episodes, for converging the two narratives in the third. I loved how we got the character of Katarina fleshed out a bit more. And I just really loved hearing the first and the second Doctor interacting <laughs> and how they kind of kept it in the style of the time. I mean, the second Doctor kind of talked about regeneration, but he didn't call it regeneration because it hadn't been called that on screen by this point. There was no Mm -hmm. mention of Time Lords or anything like that. It was very much kept within the continuity. So I thought it did a really good job at evoking the feel of the time. In the second episode, when we start talking about or start listening to the first Doctor, there's that kind of epic feel that you get with stories like Marco Polo. They've been there for three months. He's talking about universities, places of learning. Again, it's just a lot of layering to really make it feel like it's Mm -hmm. from the time. And as you mentioned, Julie, the soundscapes are fantastic. So I'm going to give this one eight and a half remote control cars out of (laughs) ten. Perfect. With that... We are basically done. We will be back next time. We haven't quite figured out where we (laughs) will release this one yet. So it could be the next episode is the season six retrospective. It could be the Troutnira retrospective. It could even be Spearhead from Space. But whatever it is, we do hope that you'll join us again for it. But for now, thank you very much for listening and have a good one. You have been listening to a bonus episode of Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Julie Philippak and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Will They Won't They, was recorded on Wednesday the 19th of May 2021. If this is your first time listening in, all of our previous episodes are available through your favourite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Watchers4D. And you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or rating on your favourite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, sometimes you have to make really hard decisions so that you can stop living in the darkest timeline.